This is a podcast from the Business Times. Singapore shares started the week stronger following global markets, which closed mixed on Friday. The Straits Times Index rose 0.1% at the open and ended the day in the green, up 0.3% to 3,149 points. On Tuesday, Singapore shares started in positive territory following cautious sentiment in Wall Street. The SDI rose 0.3% at the open and ended up 0.5% to 3,164 points. At the midweek, Singapore shares started on a softer note despite overnight gains on the global market. The SDI headed down 0.1% at the open but finished 0.4% higher at 3,175 points. And on Thursday, Singapore shares opened in the green. The SDI rose 1% at the open and surged 2% to close at 3,239 points, driven by hopes that Federal Reserve rate hikes could end soon. It's Friday, July 14th. Welcome to Market Focus, a weekly look at market drivers and movements from the Business Times. I'm Clarissa Montero. Singapore shares started trading on an optimistic note, following news that gross domestic product was estimated to grow 0.7% year-on-year in the second quarter of 2023 by the Ministry of Trade and Industry. The SDI rose 0.3% at the open. Here's Candice Lee, market analyst at SDX Securities, with her overview of the trading week. The SDI gained 3.2% in the week until Thursday evening as global markets rallied on the easing of US inflation and hopes that the Fed is closing in to the end of the current rate hike cycle. US Consumer Price Index came in at 3% in June, down significantly from 4% in May. This was lowest since March 2021 and inching closer to the Fed's target of 2%. Over in China, Chinese tech firms were among the best performers on Wednesday, boosted by hopes that the tech crackdown will end soon, as Premier Li Qiang met representatives from several tech giants. Optimism in China's tech firms was also seen over the month of June due to higher-than-expected sales during June's key shopping festival in China. The Hansing Tech Index gained 7.5% in June, beating both the Hansing Index and Nasdaq 100 Index. Accordingly, the Lying OCBC Securities Hansing Tech ETF, which tracks the Hansing Tech Index, saw the highest first half 2023 turnover of $558 million among all SGX listed ETFs. Investors' interest also returned in China and Asian bond markets over June. The ICBC CSOP FTSE Chinese Government Bond ETF, which is the world's largest Chinese pure government bond ETF, recorded a two-year high in monthly net inflows, with $67 million of net unit creations in June. This was on the back of renewed optimism as investors expect China's bond yield to drop further and that the USD-CNY currency to stabilise from the current level of 723 Looking ahead, focus will be on China's key policy movements to support the housing market and slower-than-expected consumer spending as well as China's GDP, which is due next week. Looking back in the Singapore market, top three outperformers for the week for companies with a market cap of at least $500 million were New, Citrum, Food Empire Holdings, which averaged 13% gains. On the other hand, top three decliners for the week were Nanofilm Technologies International, Del Monte Pacific and Oxley Holdings, which averaged 7.4% declines. In terms of institutional fund flows in Singapore across the last five sessions all the way to 12 July, we saw a net institutional fund inflows of $66 million, reversing several weeks of outflows. Inflows were largely driven by Citrum, which received net inflows of $56 million, followed by Wilmer at $25 million. 
SIA received 22 million of net inflows, adding on to its inflows of 60 million from the previous five-day period. Largest outflows during the week were recorded in UOB, Capocorp and Semcorp. By sector, the highest net inflows over the last five sessions were seen across industrials at $88 million, consumer non-cyclicals at $27 million and real estate at $12 million. On the other hand, largest outflows were seen across financial services at $35 million, REITs at $15 million and utilities at $50 million. Anita Gabriel joins us. Anita, the week didn't start out looking that great, but it sure has taken a happy turn. Absolutely, Clarissa. The week's trading began on a cautious note, bordering on some trepidation. The source? More worrying macro data. China's producer prices for June fell at the fastest pace in over seven years, while consumer prices stagnated, raising fears of deflation. This could indicate that the post-pandemic recovery in Asia's largest economy is running out of steam, despite policymakers' best efforts. That added more salt to the wound following a week ago's jobs data out of the U.S. that pointed to waning business activity as a result of higher borrowing costs. Later in the week, figures showed that China's exports have slowed further than expected for June, underscoring the theme of a slowing Chinese economy. Midweek saw a huge mood swing to euphoria with the release of U.S. inflation print for June that provided more than a glimmer of hope of a near end to the Federal Reserve's tightening cycle. After all, no one wants to swallow bitter medicine, higher rates to tame scorching inflation, unless it works. U.S. inflation figures for June, both on an annualized and sequential basis, came in softer than street estimates. This was followed by more data the next day on moderating U.S. producer prices, indicating further easing of price pressures. That cemented the notion, or rather boosted hopes for a softer lending for the U.S. economy, which in turn spurred strong market movements across the region. Thanks in big part to significant gains chalked up by key equity indices in the U.S., Asian markets rallied, with the MSCI Asia Index up more than 2% this week. While the latest data is unlikely to change expectations that the Fed will hike rates at its next meeting, it does call into question the need for further tightening after the July meeting. The downside surprise in U.S. June CPI inflation saw the U.S. dollar drop to new lows for the year. Still on the theme of inflation, the Bank of Korea decided to leave its policy rate unchanged while maintaining its hawkish stance as it sees the risk of inflation re-accelerating over the coming months. Oil was on a slippery slide at the start of the week as decreasing business activity in China, the world's largest importer of crude oil, threatens the demand-side narrative that China will drive commodity demand to record highs this year. But by midweek, both benchmarks, Brent and the WTI, hovered near the three-month high. The gains were led by milder U.S. inflation print, which eased worries about Fed's tightening that would dent economic activity across the globe. Gold held steady over the start of the week, benefiting from a steep drop in the U.S. dollar, but analysts say the rally could run out of steam as inflation eases and policy rates stay at the terminal level for a prolonged period. The second quarter earnings season for U.S. stocks kicks off officially on Friday. And the key question is, will the upcoming earnings season propel U.S. stocks, which have already been enjoying remarkable surges, further upwards? Amid the heady mood in markets, some analysts call for sensibilities to prevail, while investors bask in the upside momentum in equities for the moment. 
They should not ignore the potholes, from China slowing exports and flat industrial output in Europe to a manufacturing recession in the U.S. For the week ahead, the focus is likely to be on more inflation data, this time out of the U.K., the Eurozone, as well as Japan and China's second-quarter GDP. Still to come, economic data and highlighted stocks of the week. The Business Times podcast team brings you Lens on Singapore, a monthly podcast which looks at the impact of global developments, changes in society and government policies. Many of the issues are not unique to Singapore but part of a wider phenomenon that will affect us and the region we live in. Hosted by Clarissa Montero and Howie Lim, Lens on Singapore is proudly developed and presented by BT Podcasts. First episode out on July 17th. And now, back to market focus from the Business Times. Candice, could you highlight the most notable news for the week, please? Well, Clarissa, at once estimates of the Singapore GDP came in this morning. It grew 0.7% year-on-year in the second quarter of this year, slight improvements from first quarter 0.4%. This exceeded the expectations of private sector economists. Analysts polled by Reuters predicted a 0.6% expansion, but Bloomberg analysts were expecting a 0.2% contraction. On a seasonally adjusted quarterly basis, GDP grew 0.3%, reversing from the previous quarter's 0.4% fall. This helped Singapore avert a technical recession. Technical recession is defined as two straight quarters of quarterly contraction. The Singapore government had projected GDP growth of 0.5% to 2.5% for this year. And in June, the MAS survey of professional forecasters, private sector economists, forecasted Singapore's GDP to grow 1.4% this year and 2.5% next year. The total sales value of private prime non-lender residential property in Singapore fell to $1.1 billion in the first half of 2023. This is according to Knight Frank, a real estate consultancy firm. There was a 23% decline in total sales value in the first six months of the year compared to the $1.4 billion recorded in the second half of 2022. Knight Frank believes that the impact from the additional buyer's stamp duty contributed largely to the lower transaction numbers. Despite the fall in overall sales value, the average price per square foot remained resilient and rose 4.7% to $2,580 in the first half of 2023 as compared to the second half of 2022. Tomasic reported a 5.2% drop in the value of his net portfolio and signaled a cautious investment stance due to the challenging macroeconomic environment ahead. For the financial year ended 31st March, his net portfolio was valued at $382 billion, down $21 billion from the record $403 billion it achieved a year ago. While its portfolio companies in Singapore remained resilient, its global direct investments saw a reversal of gains from the high valuation in the last two years, particularly in the technology, healthcare and payment space as valuations derated in the higher interest rate environment. Okay, Candice, game time. I'm going to say the name of a stock. Let's see if you can give me an update on it. Okay, I'm ready. All right, let me give you a hint. We'll start with green financing, Guacoland. Ah, Guacoland. So this week, Guacoland secured a $499 million Sing Dollar Green Club facility from DBS and OCBC. 
This will go towards financing the development of the Lentor Garden site. And this came soon after its announcement on 28th of June of a 974 million Sing dollar green facility for the refinancing of the commercial component of the Guoco Tower. With this latest green facility, Guacoland has secured a total of more than 2.9 billion Sing dollars of green financing to date. The upcoming development of Lentor Gardens will be its first residential project to achieve the Green Mark Platinum Super Low Energy with the Maintainability Batch Certification by the Building and Construction Authority. Too easy. Let's try the next one. Citrium. Mm, Citrium. Citrium, in fact, also secured a green trade finance facility from OCBC. According to the company, this trade facility is worth an estimated $1.04 billion and is one of the largest syndicated financing solutions for the maritime industry issued by a single bank. This trade facility will be used to support Citrum's offshore renewable projects and decarbonisation efforts. Currently, renewables and cleaner green solutions comprise approximately 39% of the group's net order book. Hmm. Okay, let's do Thompson Medical Group. Oh, Thomson Medical Group is an interesting one. Over the week, it gained 6.7% with daily volume traded up 133% as compared to its three months average. Thomson Medical Group is actually proposing to fully acquire Far East Medical Vietnam, the owner and operator of a range of healthcare facilities in Vietnam for approximately $570 million. This will be Vietnam's biggest healthcare transaction to date and Southeast Asia's largest healthcare acquisition since 2020. According to Thomson Medical, the acquisition of Far East Medical Vietnam would allow the group to enter Vietnam's growing private healthcare market and diversify its presence across these markets. The transaction is estimated to increase its FY 2022 pro forma revenue by 33%. You're getting smart, Candice, but we'll have to do this big one, Keppel Corporation. Hmm, Keppel Corp. Keppel Corp announced that its infrastructure division has secured contracts over $100 million to provide long-term and recurring energy as a service to several developments in Vietnam as well, also Vietnam. Keppel, using its proprietary operations nerve centre, will be able to remotely monitor and optimise all of its energy assets in Vietnam in real time. This will enhance the efficiency, reliability and scalability of Keppel's energy as a service solutions. As part of the latest contracts, Keppel will also design and retrofit the existing cooling systems of its clients' developments to improve energy efficiency and asset performance. The projects are expected to offset over 3,500 tonnes of carbon emissions annually, which is equivalent to the carbon abatement of taking more than 1,000 cars off the road. Alright, just a couple more. Oh, hang on. Can I play too? We can't miss this one. Duty-Free International. Yeah, Duty Free International, it is one of the first to kickstart earnings season in Singapore. It reported a 50.5% year-on-year increase in revenue for the first quarter of 2023, with profit for the period improving close to three-folds. The increase was mainly due to the resumption of operations for several of the group's retail outlets. The group, which mainly operates in Malaysia, saw that back in March and April 2022, only three outlets were in operations and the rest of the duty-free outlets only resumed operations in the beginning of May 2022, following the reopening of international borders and lifting of travel restrictions. The group expects that while there are encouraging signs of ongoing economic recovery, the business environment remains challenging this year given the rising of product and operating costs. As a result of weakening of the Malaysian ringgit against major foreign currencies coupled with inflationary pressure. Alright, last one. DBS. 
DBS, they announced that it will sell a 77.8% stake in AXS to a private equity firm, Tower Capital Asia. Following the sale, DBS will continue to retain a minority stake of 9.9% in AXS. Tower Capital Asia has indicated there are no immediate plans to implement any material changes to the AXS current operations and that it intends to support AXS in its growth plans to include an expanded presence within the Southeast Asian payments ecosystem. All right, thanks for that. This has been Market Focus from the Business Times. I'm Clarissa Montero with Candice Lee, Market Analyst and SGX Securities and Anita Gabriel from the Business Times News Desk. This is a podcast by the Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.